you would please open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31. Last time we were in the book of Genesis as we continue through the scriptures, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We're in the book of Genesis and we'll continue to go through here. And if you remember, we're reminded when we are in difficult situations, we can trust God to care for us in those difficult situations. We can trust that. As a child of God and you find yourselves in a difficult situation, God is going to be there to help and strengthen you to bring you through those situations. And you must trust that by faith, even though you don't feel it at the moment. You don't see how it's going to play out. God is going to take care of us. And it is a testimony to the blessing of God that Jacob, as we saw, prospered under the control and the manipulation that Laban, Uncle Laban, was doing upon him in his life over the 20 years he spent in that area. Even he was controlled and he manipulated and deceived because he was reaping, if you remember, what he used to be like. Jacob means a deceiver, a heel catcher. He, he was a master of manipulation, as you know. And he met his challenge with Uncle Laban, who was a master of a manipulation. But even through all of that, God prospered Jacob as God promised to Jacob. And Jacob returned uh, and uh, we will find he will be returning back to his homeland, back to where he thinks his mother's still alive, which he's, she's not, and back to her, his twin brother Esau, who wants to kill him, and he's not sure how that's going to happen and how that's going to work out, and back to his father Isaac. But he's going to back home because God told him he was going back home. We will see. But God, Jacob was saved, if you remember, in chapter 28. And he is, was not yet fully broken, as we'll see as we continue through 28 and chapter 29 and into 30. And we will see here in 30 and 31, 32, not 32 today, but 31. We're going to see that continued God does, does still do a work in a man or a woman who has given their life to Christ. They've been born again, but still have that cardinal nature that seems to control and have great influence in their lives at times. And they make mistakes and they, they don't do things rightly because they haven't been fully surrendered and broken to the Lord in every area of their lives. And we will see that in Jacob's life, that, that, that he was not broken in every aspect of his life, even though he had given his life to Christ because God had Christ had revealed himself back in chapter 28. But once you start that relationship, God brings you through test after test after test. And through those tests, he uses that to transform a life of a believer. Have you not experienced that? Amen? Amen. And he'll continue because he wants you to be fully surrendered. He wants you to be completely broken and moldable and shapeable by the potter's hands. Not so stiff and so hard that he, he only want to give in certain areas of your life. No, God wants you to completely give in all aspects of your life. Now, as we continue to see here in chapter 31, we will see some more testing taking place. And when tests come, it causes us to be stirred up and to be moved in some aspect of our lives. We can be moved. God can be stirring up through these tests to be move you um, 
physically to move you from point A to point B or geographically or spiritually or in ministry or within a job or whatever aspect that God is focused on in your life at that moment. He will stir up these tests to cause you to get out of your comfort zone to move you. And we will see that in the life of Jacob today. Now here we see and right in the very beginning, in verse chapter 31 of Genesis, verse 1, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that, our, that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. Now this is interesting, because we, still, we see a test coming his way, Jacob, where the sons of Uncle Laban, Uncle Laban and the sons there, they're watching what God is doing in Jacob's life. Now, if you remember in chapter 30, he, there was a vow that was made between Jacob and Laban that said, God was stirring up Jacob even back in chapter 30. He said, you know, you, you're going to go back to your homeland. You're, you need to have your own wealth, your own possessions. You've been working for 20 years for uh, Laban, and God is stirring him up saying, you need to, to make a life. You have to have a job. You've got to make your life. And so they worked out a vow that said, hey, anytime there was a speckled or a, 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 a spotted or a streaked on these animals, that would be Jacob's, and Jacob would be able to siphon that off of the herd and be able to take that, and that would be his possession. That would, would provide his livelihood to be able to move back home. But you know Le Uncle Laban, he's, not gonna, he's a deceiver. He's not going to like this, so he's trying to play the game here. And you remember what happened. Somehow, someway, they've agreed upon, or not, that Uncle Laban took all the current speckled, striped, and spotted, especially the females, and he separated them and sent them three days away with his sons, remember? So that they couldn't get mixed up and, and Jacob couldn't go get those female spotted, striped, and, and speckled and type to bring them back in to get them, you know, to, in heat to be able to have more. Well, we're going to find very quickly that when God is in it, you can, <laughs> other people can come against you, but God is still going to get his way. And we're going to see that happening here today. But the main thing that we see here is that they started becoming envious of what God was doing in Jacob's life. Now, let me warn you, for you and I, anytime we start becoming envied of someone else, of what God is doing in their life, you're in trouble. Let me give you a few scriptures here. Because notice here that Jacob... He was in good standings with everybody. Look at verse 2. Let me read verse 2 here. And Jacob saw the continents of Laban. And indeed, it was not favorable toward him as before. So you can see the sons are now turning on him, saying, Hey, he's taken my, our father's wealth. Everything he has, all this wealth that he's getting here, it's really our father's. Really what they're saying is, that's ours. They're envious because now he's making, a, he's, he's making a name for himself, or at least wealth for himself. And now because they're chiming, they're listening, they're, he's getting into the ears of Uncle Laban. And now Uncle Laban's countenance is changing toward that person. You, you can see that, haven't you? Someone used to be smiley and engaging and loving and, and they, would, they would look out for you. But all of a sudden their countenance changes. 
They don't have to say a word, but their countenance changes, and you know something is up. Something's not right here, and you have no idea, but you know something's not right. Men, you know this, don't you? The wise countenance changes, and you immediately go, uh-oh, what did I do? What did I forget? How did I, how did I miss something? Immediately, you know the countenance not right on the wife. There's something not right, and you're searching quickly to figure that out. Amen? You are brothers. If you're not, you better learn to do that. <laughs> you better learn to read the continents of your wife. But we see here that Jacob knew the reason why the countenance was changing. He knew because he heard the murmuring and complaining from the sons. Because this envy started creeping in, we can see that envy will distort the truth of really what's truly happening. That Jacob had not taken anything of Laban's. This was their agreement. That God was just doing the work. And because things weren't going their way, because they didn't have it happen the way they wanted to happen, they started becoming envious. And then we start, the truth starts getting distorted and things become unreal. We have to be very careful of that. If you sense envy, know that the truth is being twisted and you better be very careful before you react to the envy. Because the scripture's clear here. Envy is bad not only on its own, but also in the company it, it keeps. For you are still carnal for where there are envy and strife and division among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? 1 Corinthians 3.3 you're acting like mere men when you allow envy. And everyone around you starts getting pulled into that, and it causes destruction, and it causes its carnality. It causes strife among people. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there, James 3.16. James 3.16 is a very clear for us to be very very careful when you're self-seeking because envy will seek in there confusion will seek in there and all of a sudden now the truth becomes confusing and you generate a new reality to justify your feelings be very very careful because it just brings nothing but destruction and division among people especially within a family and instead we must love suffers long and is kind and love does not envy 1 Corinthians 13.4. God wants to deliver us from envy. Titus 3.3, 3, for we ourselves were also once foolish and disobedient and deceived and serving various lusts and pleasures and living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. That should not be. As a child of God, that should not be. You should have, have to, the transformation needs to take place in your lives by the power of God so that you do not live that life that James, that uh, Titus 3.3 3 just described. And think about Matthew 27.18. Because envy is no small sin here that we're talking about. It is a major sin here that can destroy lives. We can see that because it put Jesus on the cross. Matthew 27, 18 says, For we knew that they had handed him over because of what? Envy. Envy. The religious leaders had envy. The people around them were then brought in there and caused to turn against our Lord himself that took him to the cross. It was the root of the envy. 
We must search our hearts and make sure that we do not have envy toward other persons because you're on that same destruction path. So here we are. We see he sees this going on. He used to be loved because he was making Laban wealthy and the sons were happy because now we have more flocks and more wealth and more prestige in the community. This is all great. But all of a sudden they realized they started losing because God was really doing a work in a specific man's life and his family and they were losing out on this. It didn't work out to their favor. But look right here in verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So now God speaks by his word directly to Jacob to give him the direction of what he needs to do next. He's stirring them up because he's probably comfortable. 20 years, he's pretty comfortable. He's making a lot of money. He's doing quite well. He's in a good family. This is all good. But God says, no, no, it's time for you to move because this is not where I have you. I need you to move you now. And he steers you up by turning, sometimes allowing people to change their hearts, change, and you get a little more uncomfortable being where you're at. You didn't cause the sin. You didn't cause the challenge. It wasn't like you were sinning and causing the problem. You didn't were implementing this to cause the problem. God was, the hearts were changing that caused him to be uncomfortable. And then God spoke by his word, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah, his two wives, to the field to his flock. Okay, go get my two wives, get them out of the household, get them over here to the field, because we don't want anyone having the, hearing this conversation here. I need to speak to my wives, which is very important. Men, you should speak to your wives. You know that. When God speaks to you and tells you there's something you're, you're going to do, like move, you better share with your wife what God is telling you. Don't keep that a secret. That would be a very bad thing, okay? From a brother to a brother, it would be a really bad thing. But how much detail do you tell your wife? Well, we're going to have a good example here. You better tell her more than just that God showed me we're going. That's it. You have to more detail. Watch this, how he does this. He gets, so he gets his, his wives out there, and he says in verse 5, and he says to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God, underline that, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Now, I don't know about you, but that's very encouraging if you work for an employer. That here you are, you're, he's been faithful, he's been working, he says, with all my might I have served your father. He's explaining to his wives what God is showing and revealing, so he's a little bit more details to his wives on why he believes and what he's sharing to these wives, what is about to happen. And he says, your father has deceived me and has changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. So your employer may change the rules on you. Cut your hours, cut your pay, lose the job. Just know that God, as a child of God, God is in control and they will not hurt you. He will provide for you. Yes, he's stirring you up. He's, he's causing a move to happen in your life through this test. 
but it will transform you. It will, you're going to see God work in your life and will provide and will guide and lead in a direction to exactly where he wants you to be to serve him. You have to know that by faith. Because right now, I know you don't feel it. I know you don't see it. You don't know how it's going to happen. And you're not sure all the elements. But you must stop figuring it out yourself. And let lead by, you need to be led by him, by his spirit. You must live day by day by faith and not by sight. God wants to transform you in that way. If you find yourself in that test today, just know that God is transforming you. Allow his spirit to do that this morning. That God is in control. And even though this employer may be coming against you, he cannot hurt you. Now, you and I can get really ruffled because we like our cozy little moment. We like, we like things in control, and we like things predictable, and we want things the way we want them. And when they don't go that way, we get really tense and frustrated. But we must live by faith and trust in God as we see things stirring and changing as we see Jacob is here. And he's telling his wives, but God did not allow him to hurt me. And verse 8, if he had said this, now he's going to explain to his wives these changes of wages and how God is in control. Watch how this happens here. He says, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore bore speckled. So remember, the, the rules were, the vow was between the Uncle Laban and Jacob was that Jake, Laban would keep the pure animals, the black, the pure black, the pure whites, and there's no speckled or slash or spotted. Those would be Jacob's. And there wasn't that few, and he actually took those and separated those away, remember, thinking, okay, he won't have that many animals that will come from this pure black and white herd. Well, he, they obviously, when God's working, it's amazing. So watch, watch, watch what happens. So he says to him, the speckled shall be your wages. So he's changed his wages. It was not just speckled, remember. It was speckled. It was slashed. It was all, it was all of them, right? But he changed his wages. Just as speckled are you going to, the only ones you're going to get. And what happened? Then all the flocks bore speckled. And then, then if he said this, then when Laban came back, he said, you're only going to get the streaked. The streaks shall be your wages. Then guess what happened? Then all the flocks bore streaks. So God was just, okay, you want to change your wages? Okay, I can make that prosperous to this man. You want to change the wages? Oh, not a problem. I'll, cha- I'll, I'll bless him by change, doing this. And so here's what happened. So in verse 9, so, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and have given to me. So it's basically what you're saying is all of this, all of this manipulation from Laban, it did not stop me making sure all these animals become specked and slashed and spotted and they're all his and less for him. Don't go against God's people. It's just like in Israel, right? Anyone who goes against Israel is in trouble. Anyone who goes is for Israel will be blessed. I and mean, you're not going to get around that. You want to be for Israel. <laughs> in every aspect, you want to be praying for Israel and God to do a work in and through his people of Israel. Or because the other way you'll be blessed. Because he already says, the, you'll be a curse. It'll, be a, it'll go against you if you don't. 
And watch how many nations have fallen over the years because they went against uh, Israel. Whew, we should learn. So he says that. So God has given away the livestock. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked and specked and, and gray spotted. Amazing. God gave him a dream here. So he's sharing with his wives. God not only spoke to me, but he even showed me a dream. And then it gets even better in verse 11. Then the angel of God, in your Bible should be a capital A for deity, Jesus Christ himself, before the incarnation. Here he is, Jesus himself, spoke to Jacob in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked and specked and gray spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Again, encouragement for us. You may be tested in your work environment and your boss is coming against you and they don't like you because you stand for Christ and because you don't do the things that they do in the rest of them, the gossiping and the slandering and the, the nasty talking and jokes. You don't do any of that, and people are starting to isolate you, and, and employers are coming against you because the fact that you need to have Sundays off. Just know that God sees all that they do to you as a child of his, and he will deal with it. You must, treat, you must just trust him in that. Be patient. He will take care of you. He will work and walk you through this time of this testing because it's going to cause you to be transformed and to be more Christ-like through it all. And that's what, his, that's what his mission is, is to transform us. To continue that good work of, 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 of working out that salvation, working of sovereignty into your life to be Christ-like. And he's reminded here, God reminds or says to his wives he, that Jesus himself, the angel of God, said, I am the God of Bethuel, where you anointed the pillar and, were, and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. So the word of God spoke very clearly to him. Remember me? Remember the day you gave your life to Christ, your first love back there? And for us, and for him, it was back in chapter 28, verses 20 through 22. Remember that day when I revealed myself to you there in Bethuel? Do you remember that day of salvation, Jacob? Now you are going to pack up and you're moving and you're going back home. Just like I said to you. Then Rachel, verse 14, and Leah answered. Now the wives are responding to the husband of how he just shared with his wives everything that God revealed and said is doing and direction. Now the husband is now receiving from his wife. The wife is now, the wives in this case, wives are clearly communicating and said to him, to Jacob, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Now remember what they're referring to is their dowry. Remember, back in that culture, if you to marry, you had to come up, guys, you had to come up with a huge amount of money to give to the father, in this case, or the oldest brother, and said, this is the dowry, and this will be for her if at any point in time one of two things happen. The, the husband dies, and she has to go back home with her children. There's money to take care of her. 
or if he decided to divorce her or to kick her out, which back in that culture they could do with no reason whatsoever, they had to go back and have enough money to take care of her and those children. Now, they're asking the question to Jacob, is there any portion or inheritance or any part of our dowry still hanging around here? What happened? Verse 15. Are we not considered strangers by him? Are, are we not considered strangers by our own father, Laban? He's acting like we're strangers, like there's no relationship here, that we're his daughters is what they're saying. For he has sold us. Ah, you see the relationship between Laban and his daughters are not good. He just sold us and, and also completely consumed our money. Laban was not a good father. He was supposed to take that money to provide for his daughters just in case he should have taken that money, that dowry money, and put it in a trust for that, for her, for those two women, if this, something had happened. But he did not. He just selfishly got that money and used it, spent it, sold them off, disowned them, didn't, really didn't care. They were still hanging around there, obviously not living in the house with that, but living with her, their husband. But and they, they know, these women know that their dad really is not for them. For all these riches, in verse 16, which God had taken from our father are really ours and our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. We have supportive wives. Why men? Why does, he, why does Jacob have a supportive wives? Because he clearly communicated to them that it, God was in this move. God was doing this. And they saw what was happening. And they felt they had that sense of security to be able to follow him as their husband to a new land. They've never been there. They had no idea what to expect and see. Their whole lives were based on uh, this area that they lived in, Pandan Aram. Now going to Canaan was a completely foreign land to them. But they trusted in the fact that God was moving and doing the work. And wives will be more secure to be able to trust that and go by faith. And these wives were, wives were taking steps of faith and trusting this was exactly, this is of God. And then what happened? Then there was immediate obedience in verse 17. Then Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. That shows that he was very wealthy. He had camels for his two wives. He had camels for his 11 sons. He probably had a camel for his one daughter. He had camels. That means they had a lot of wealth here. He was very wealthy and he was packing up and moving. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained. His acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep. Now remember, he had his sheep separated so they wouldn't be mingling with what Jacob was doing. And he moved them far away, three days away. So he moved them out. He had to go up there and take a shear. In that culture, they would have hundreds of men. They would go out into the field for days on end to shear during the shearing time. So that's what he was doing. So when he was out there, verse 19, gone out to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. Oh, my. Rachel, Rachel, what are you doing? You don't steal some man's idols. Now, let me tell you something. If you have an idol that can be stolen, you're in trouble. You are following a false god that can be stolen. You're in trouble, and you're, you're spiraling out of control, and you don't even know. 
Because anyone could steal your, your, your God is not a God that you want to follow. But that happens in today's world today. Get between a man and his money, get between a woman and her money, and you will know very quickly where she stands or where he stands in regards to their walk with Christ or not. Don't get between their money. Because money can be a very big thing for people. Even though it's God's money and God has given you that money. Everyone thinks it's just their money. If it's not money, then it's something else. Just watch their lives and see what happens when tests come and these little gods start falling. I know your team didn't make it to the playoffs. And you'll watch that man crumble right in front of your eyes and weep and cry. I've seen it. Down in New Jersey, when the Eagles didn't make it, there were men, grown men weeping and crying in church. And we'd always look and say, mm -mm, that little idol has got to die because it emotionally has messed you up. But these teraphims, these, these household idols, were little idols that people would follow. And this, in this case, these were little deities. These were spiritual little deities that magically, if I talked to them and rubbed them and, and, and did whatever I did, they would bless me and they would provide for me. I'd take my little trinket and I would make sure it's around my neck at all times. And I would rub it and talk to that little false god. Happens still today. They'll go to the wall. They'll look what's hanging on the wall. And they will worship what's on the wall. Or the little thing that's sitting on their special little spot. God says, get rid of those idols because they're not him. You can't contain him in that little thing, that little statue. We must follow the God of the universe. Amen? And sure enough, Rachel, we don't know why she took them. We don't know if she was just so mean and bad or angry and bad dad and what she's done and causing all these problems and changes. And I'm going to take his idols because I know how important they are to him. Or back in that culture, the idols, whoever had the idols actually was in, was showed the authority or the control over the, the wealth of that family. And maybe she says, fine, I'm taking the idols. I can come back to this land and I have the idols to claim my property back and everything else. Whatever the reason and motivation is for Rachel to do it, she should not have taken the man's idols because it causes, we'll see, huge problems for them. Now, interesting, watch this happen. Verse 20, Jacob stole away unknown to Laban the Syrian in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. <laughs> Remember, in that culture, the patriarch was Laban. Laban, that was, he was the patriarch. And, he, and remember, he was asking permission early on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back home. I really need to get, make some money. And, I gotta, and Laban talked Jacob in not leaving and staying longer, remember, and to, to stay longer to make that. And they got that vow, how you're going to get the sheep, the speck, the spotted, the streak. You're going to be yours. So you stay with me a little bit longer. But remember here, now Jacob is leaving and he did not tell Laban. Verse 21, so he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river, the river Euphrates. He crossed the, the river Euphrates and headed toward the mountains of Gilead, which is about 
250 miles or so. He was trucking 300 miles to get back home to Canaan. And he was getting to just the mountains of Gilead. If you look at the map and you see the Sea of Galilee on the top there, we went there this couple of months. How long was it gone? I think we've been back a month. I don't know. When we went to Israel. I think it's been a month. And we sit in there at the Sea of Galilee and you see this mountain range. It's not a huge mountain. It's just a hill. But that's the mountains of Gilead. That is the area where they were coming back. This is the story. This is where they were at in those hills. That's the northern part of the, the Golan Heights. And the, these are the hills that they were coming back to from the desert north of them. And so now here they are. They're getting back here. And they did not tell Laban that it was happened. So on the, verse 22, Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren, Jacob, or Laban took his brethren with him and pursued Jacob for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. Oh, <laughs> Jacob and the, and, the, and, the, and the caravan was only 50 miles away from their destination in Canaan. All they had to do was get on the other side of the Jordan and make their way. They didn't make it. But here these men overtook him in seven days and got them right there in the mountains. But notice in verse 24, but God. Again, underline, circle, God is coming in for the rescue. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to J Jacob neither good nor bad. What does that mean? Am I not supposed to say something to him? No, what he's saying is, Laban had a method of how he could coerce and manipulate a person. If you go back and read the scriptures, and we've kind of touched on this, watch someone who will butter you up or flatter you or talk real good to you, but then all of a sudden turns on you. If you do not comply, he'll, they'll turn on you and now become forceful in their direction of getting you to do something. Be very careful of that. And so God said to him, <laughs> Laban, don't you talk to Jacob good nor bad. You better just better be careful what you're saying to this man because I'm watching. I see all things. I'm watching you. I don't know about you. When God says to you in a dream, I'm watching you, what should you do? Hello? You better pay attention. You better listen and obey because God's watching. Now what happens next here? So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pinched, uh, pitched in the mountains of Gilead as well here. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? He's like, Did you take my daughters like captives with swords? He's getting all drama-like. What is he doing? He's, he's trying to, uh, oh, this is terrible. And how do you, could you do this to my, your wives, to my daughters? Oh, it's manipulative. Because you know as well as I do in the story that Jacob did not force his wives or uh, Laban's daughters to go in anything. They were willing. They understood God was in this. They wanted to go. So what happened? Verse 27. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might, keyword, might, have sent you away with joy and songs, with 
timbrel or tambourine and harp. <laughs> sure you would have. You would not have sent them away with any joy and party. You wouldn't have had a going away party for these people. You would not have allowed that. But you secretly and stealed away from me. He didn't steal nothing. He only took what he had. It was his. It was his animals, his livestock, his wives, his children. This was his. It wasn't Laban's. But then comes out the real reason why Laban chased him for seven days. Look at what happens. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolish in doing so. Now, as a grandfather, if you took my grandkids away from me, that would be foolish. I probably would hunt you down, too, because I can't give them a kiss before you took them. I can understand that from Laban, but that's just a moment here. And it is in my power to do you harm. Now he switches from, oh, we could have had a party. How could you have done this to me? And I didn't get to kiss my babies goodbye. And oh, how could you do this? But then he turns on him right here, right in verse 29. It is in my power to do you harm. But notice what happened. But the God of your father spoke to me last night. Now at least he's being honest what took place. That God showed up. And he's telling Jacob that. And he said, the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly longed for your father's house. So he's saying, I understand. God showed up for you, told me that you're going to see your father's house. You're going back. I can understand that. Fine, 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 fine. But here's the real reason why I'm chasing you. Here it comes out. Why did you steal my gods? Again, if someone can steal your gods, mm, you're in trouble already. But that's all he wanted. He wanted his gods, his teraphims back. That's why he chased. Now that would have been a very big surprise to Jacob to hear because Jacob did not know that Rachel stole the gods. So he's sitting here shocked. Can you imagine you could hear that happen? Who you took my God? What? I didn't take no gods. So what did he say? He responded here. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. That is why I left. Ah, be careful when fear and comes upon you on something and you fear man. You will make irrational decisions. See, because if he really had a trust and faith in what God said to him, you're going back home, Jacob, and you trusted what God was doing, you as a man of faith would have gone right to Uncle Laban, you would have stared in his eyes, and you would have said, Uncle Laban, I have to tell you, God just told me I'm going back home, period. I have to be obedient, and I've got to go. I know this is probably not going to, you're not going to like this, but I'm packing up my two wives, my 11, your 11 grandsons, and your one granddaughter, and we're out of here, and we're going to meet in obedience, and that's the way it's going to be. And he had, a man of faith would have trusted that God would have worked it all out. But because he was afraid, he was afraid that Laban was going to take his daughters, take his grandkids, and all that stuff, his kids, he was afraid that's why he took off running without telling Laban. Be very careful. But then he said in verse 31, perhaps you would take the daughters from me by force with whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. So back in that culture, if you take someone's gods, 
you're surely to die. So he's saying, go, look. He didn't have anything to hide. Go look. If you find anyone there, make sure that person doesn't live because I don't know anything about these stolen idols you're talking about. And in the presence of your brethren, identify what I have of yours. He said, whatever I have of yours. You think of, it's not even idols. He says, if you see anything here that I should not have taken, identify it and bring it in front of the, in front of the brethren because I want you to bring that to light. That's what he's saying here. And he says, that you have uh, whatever of yours and take it with you, for Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. Verse 33, And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Uh Uh-oh. So what happens here? Now Rachel had taken the household idols, but put them in the camel's saddle and did what? And sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. How did he not find them? So here she is. She's taken the saddle from the camels. It's in her tent where it should be. And she puts the idols in the tent. And she sits on that saddle where the idols are. She's sitting on the idols. Now let me tell you. If someone can sit on your idols, your idols are not God. And it gets worse here. Watch what happens. It gets worse than this. Because why didn't daddy tell her daughter to get up and move because I'm checking the saddle? Well, guess what happens? She's pretty conniving as well. Now, Rachel had taken, right? So she said to her father in verse 35, Let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before you for the manner of women. I am having my period here with me. And he researched but did not find the household items. Dad, I can't get up. So you know as a daughter, if you, as a father, you walk in and say, sweetheart, get up. you got to get up. Dad, I have my period. I can't get up. I guarantee you that father stopped the conversation right there and was searching all around except for that spot where she was sitting. Because in that culture, she was unclean. Leviticus 15.20. If something is during that period of time is unclean, it's unclean. You're not to touch it. See, nowhere in his mind that he would say, my daughter would not be sitting unclean on my idols. That is the last thing in his mind. And you can tell that she didn't really care about the idols because if she truly worshipped those idols, she would have never sat on her idols. That's why I believe she was just being vindictive against daddy for taking the idols in the first place because there was a value. But that saved her because she would have surely died if he found those, those idols. In verse 36, then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. Woo! See, you're going to see what happens when someone is standing on the truth and confidence of what is right and good. You'll see a confidence in a person's verbiage and stance. When, they, when they're not sure about this, this, the, sure of it, they'll talk all around it and they'll act very insecure around it. Remember, he was afraid. He knew he wasn't standing on good standings, taking the two wives and all of his grandkids and taking off without telling Laban. He says, I was afraid. He wasn't on good standings. But here, notice the change in now the, the man coming out of Jacob. He's taking a stance here. Watch what happens. He said, Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, 
What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between both of us. Ooh. He is bold. And I think you're seeing a little bit of bitterness coming out, anger coming out, because 20 years he's had to deal with this man. Right? 20 years he's been manipulated and conceived and everything else. And now it's going to come out. Watch, it comes off of his tongue. What does he say? These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your, your female goats have not miscarried their young. He was so attentive to the resources, in this case the animals of Laban, none of them miscarried. That's how attentive and made sure they delivered those babies correctly. That's how attentive he was for someone else's property. He wasn't missing you. He didn't sit there, oh, let the He's got too many. Let him die. No, he didn't. He made sure they were living. Very tender. Look at the next thing. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. He didn't sit there and go, he's not looking. Let's have a ram party and let's eat one and he'll never notice there's one. No, he didn't take advantage and take from his employer. He never siphoned off the, 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 the resources from his employer. He was a faithful servant and he was reliable in regards to what he did. And then that which was torn by beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. Remember, back in then, you wonder why the shepherds would fight a bear and a lion and a, and a wolf to keep them from getting the sheep? Because they had to pay for every sheep that was lost. If they couldn't bring that part of that dead body back to show the owner this sheep was gone because a, a, a wolf got it, they would have to pay for it. Those shepherds had no money. They were going to pay for it. But notice he says, I didn't even bring them to you. I bore the loss. He paid for it out of his own, his own money. And look what else. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. If someone came and stole the sheep, I was supposed to get that sheep. I, if it's stolen, I took the loss. I didn't, uh, you didn't have to take the loss. I took the loss. Look at how faithful of a servant he was. There I was. Now, now he's really pouring it out. There I was in the day the drought consumed me. In the middle of the desert. Oh, you know how hot that was. And the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. I had sleep deprivation. I couldn't even sleep because I was so faithful to make sure your stuff was taken care of. Your flocks. Thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Laban, I've been faithful, and you have been unfaithful. You try to come against me, I have every right to come against you in this regards. And unless the God of my father and the God of Abraham and the Fear of Isaac. So your Bible should be a capital F there for fear, meaning the God of Isaac had been with me. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Now that is a man standing on faith and knowing who his God is. And it didn't matter what his employer, it didn't matter his uncle Laban, it didn't matter the situation. He stood firm in understanding what he was believed in. He believed 
in the God. Now notice here, he doesn't say any of that. It says, my God. It's a God of my father. It's the God of Abraham. It's the God of Isaac. But he still hasn't personalized it to say, it's my God in control of my life. Now that's a reminder for us. Do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you say it's my God or do you say it's my mom's God? She, my mom and dad goes to church. Is my grandma and grandfather, they're really religious. They go to church. That's why we went to church. Is it someone else's God or is it your God? Because if you have a personal relationship, you will always refer to as my God. But if you refer to it as my wife's God or my wife's religion or my father and mother's religion or so. I ask you to search your heart and say, do you have a personal relationship and, and believe it's your God? Because it has to be personal. It's your personal walk with him. He wants to talk to you. So what happened? Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children. This flock is my flock, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these daughters, uh, to, my, to these my daughters, or to their children whom they have born? He understood he was in a bad situation. He wasn't coming after the daughters and the kids. He was coming after his idols. And he realizes that we're 250 miles or so away. He's not going to force him back across the desert back home. He's not going to do it. He understood that he was in a bad. Plus, God spoke to him. He, he understood where he's at. And he didn't find his idols. He realizes this is it. So he says, okay, this is all mine, you know. But what am I going to do here? And what he says the next. Now, therefore, come. Let us make a covenant, a treaty. Covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone, and they set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather the stones. And they took the stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. They had a fellowship. They, they, back then, you, you broke bread together. When you ate a meal together, that's a unity of a part of that covenant of, of what you're agreeing upon. So there's some, there's some solidification here in that culture, what was taking place. And Laban called it Jigar. Seha Duta or Dute, but Jacob called it Galid, or the first name there, the, the Seha Dute is Aramaic. Galid is uh, a Hebrew name for that. It means a uh, heap of witness. So, this heap of stones, these pillars, these stones we matched up here, and we're having a meal, we're coming in agreement. This is a treaty, this is an agreement that we're making here. And it was a, and it was a wall, kind of, you know, this is a stance. Here's a line that's been drawn in the, land, uh, in, the, in the sand. This is a heap of witness for anyone who's around or between the two of us, is what they're saying here. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid, or in Hebrew. And in verse 49, it says, also Mitzpah. Because he said, may the Lord which watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. Now, Mitzpah means watchtower. Now, a lot of people take that text and takes it out of the context of what Mitzpah means. Now, some of you have done this, and I'm not putting you down for doing this. This is really sweet, and whoever you have your mitzvah with, I'm not, I'm not putting that down at all. 
But sometimes people buy a necklace, and then the necklace breaks down, the heart is down and splits. And when you're leaving, you, you give your part of the heart to that person, and this person has the other heart. And you're saying, when we come back together, and we'll be watched over, and we love one another, and this is a great thing, and we're going to remember each other. But that's not what mitzvah means. Mitzvah means we're separating our ways and we are not going to see each other again. And you're not coming over this line. You're not coming south and I'm not going north and I'm not coming to your land, Laban, and I'm not coming to your land, Jacob. And that's the way it's going to be. It's going to be separate and distinct. This is a pillar, this heap of witness. We are not crossing over this. We're not going to see each other again. We agree that, right? That's exactly what happens here. What happens? Look at continues. If you afflict my daughters, here's Laban saying to him. He's, basically, it's like a father. You know, I, I probably say the same thing. Young man, I'm leaving, and if you hurt my daughter, I'm coming back for you. I, I mean, I understand that. I can I can see Laban saying this. He's saying to him, he says, if you afflict my you if you afflict my daughters, if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see God is witness between you and me. God sees all things. We may not have a guy who can confirm this, but if you do anything with my daughters, I assure you God sees this, and he's going to deal with you. What does Laban have, right? Laban doesn't have a relationship with God. He has little idols he can't find, and you're sitting on their unclean. I mean, it's not going to have. He has no idea what he's doing right here. And then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. Notice that? It's not to come back in loves and kisses as a family, have a family reunion. No, that's not going to happen. You're just not going to cross over so we don't harm each other. Okay? Great. The God, verse 53, the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, be, judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear, the God of his father Isaac. And then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brother to eat bread. And they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. So that was it. That's the last time we see Laban in the scriptures here. Uh, he's done. He's out of the picture now. He's gone back home. Whatever happened, happened. But he's sitting here. He's going to kiss his sons and his daughters. And, he's, and I'm out of here with my thing. But notice he didn't say goodbye to Jacob. And he didn't give kisses to Jacob. <laughs> he had nothing to do with Jacob. Because uh, he was a, uh, an angry man and he moved on. Jacob has been tested. Changes and moves are happening in his life. But God was orchestrating each and every single one of those pain points. Each one of those pokes that was not brought upon Jacob's doing. Now, Rachel brought a poke that should not have happened. Should not have happened. But the pokes for, from a Jacob perspective was not from him. It was God doing that to stir him up and to get him and his wives and the kids to move south back to where God had originally designed for them to be. Not easy, but they're being transformed with that. If we could have gotten to verse 32, which I'm not going to press for the next 10 minutes because there's too much there. But in chapter 32 and 33, we will see how God is trying to transform now because now think about this. Jacob was in a very bad position 
He couldn't go back up north because here comes Uncle Laban. And he's pressing south, going back home to Canaan. And guess who he knows is waiting for him? Esau, his brother, who said, if I ever see you again, I will kill you. Now remember, Mama told little Jacob 20 years prior, you go to Uncle Laban, you hang out there for a few days, and when your brother calms down and no longer is angry with you, I'll send word to you for you to come back. It's been 20 years. So what's in Jacob's head? Esau is still upset, and Esau's going to kill me. But even with the knowing that he's going down to a land where God told him to go, he's going by faith. He's, he's shaky on the faith, is he not? He left afraid. He didn't quite do things. But now you see with these tests, now the man is coming out, a godly man coming out. And he's taking a sperm stance. In our scripture day, I'm going, if you have anything against me, make it known. Let's judge by this. Let's put it out there. Let everyone know. I have nothing to hide here. I did not steal your little idols. I didn't take anything of yours that is not mine. So you see a godly man taking a stance and ready to move on and go, even though he is going to face his twin brother, his older brother. But he's going because he's being obedient to God's direction, even though he knows he doesn't feel like it. And we will see in chapter 32 how he really feels about this whole move. And he, again, he relies upon his carnal nature, his fleshly ways to try to make this work. Again, if you have trust in God, you don't have to work, rely upon your flesh and worldly ways to make this happen. God will make it happen. Amen?